This episode of Next Gen is brought to you by Jeje Lacout. Hello and welcome to Next Gen, CNA Luxury's podcast where we speak to the second or third generation family members of Singapore companies. I'm Aaron De Silva, editor of CNA Luxury, and I'm here to find out what makes them tick and how they're planning to take the business to the next level. Today we are joined by Aisha Hashim of Hague Road Putupiring. Aisha's great-great-grandmother started selling putupiring from a roadside stall in Jalan Besar in the 1930s. The family tradition passed down from mother to daughter, and by 1994, the business had moved to a hawker stall in Hague Road Food Centre. Aisha joined the business in 2007 after studying in the US and took over her parents in 2014. Hague Road Putupiring was also officially registered as a company in that year. Since then, Aisha has expanded the business to five outlets. A central kitchen in Bedok mixes the putupiring flour, and the flour is then distributed to the five outlets. Hi Aisha, welcome to our podcast. Hi Aaron. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Um, Aisha, Hegro Putupiring was already famous before Netflix's Street Food Asia came along in 2019. But after the series aired, did business boom? Did you get a lot more of new customers? Yes, definitely, especially those international customers where they will come along and take out their handphone, you know, take pictures of our stalls and of course with our staff. So you became an internet celebrity overnight? <laughs> kind of, yeah. Uh, how, how did you um, treat the fame and the fortune? Okay, uh, actually, uh, from what I realised, our customers, especially those international ones, they... Uh, when they came over, they took pictures. They like it if we upload into the Instagram and say, it's like, hey, we have been here in Netflix. Eh? So, yeah. uh, wow, I, I was like uh, really glad that it happened. Mm -hmm. Where did they come from? Uh, basically all over the world. Yes, uh, Russia, Germany, Italy, and of course our nearby uh, countries, Brunei, Malaysia, Indonesia. Mm -hmm. mm. How did it feel to have your family business showcased to this global audience? Uh, definitely, we we feel very honoured uh, to be part of the team and being chosen uh, for the Singapore Netflix. Unfortunately, there was also a bit of backlash after the series aired. You know, people in Singapore were divided into two camps. One who felt that Putupiring was not exactly representative of Singapore. Uh, and another camp felt that it was actually nice to showcase something different, something less common than, you know, for example, chicken rice or laksa. Um, how did you feel about those comments, especially the negative ones? Okay, that's true, Aaron. Uh, actually, we do have a few comments from uh, those customers or uh, Singaporeans saying that, uh, does that mean putu piring represents Singapore? So, uh Frankly speaking, uh, me and my family, we have no idea that we were actually uh, chosen to be the main one in Netflix. So uh, what happened was actually Netflix came over to Singapore and they interviewed 10 owners in Singapore. And uh, after they interviewed, they actually went back to America. Two weeks later, only then I received email from Netflix uh, saying that we want to join to be part uh, of their show in street 
Food Asia. So, of course, I will say yes. Who wouldn't yeah, want exactly. to have that opportunity, right? Yeah. So, uh, but however, uh, we didn't know that we are actually the main one that's being chosen to to be in Street Food Asia Singapore. Yeah. I just assume that why why we are chosen because uh we have basically uh interesting or unique kind of food besides like uh chicken rice and uh laksa you know uh so I I believe that Netflix wanted to know more about our story and the history of putu piring and of course the process of how putu piring is being made. Your company is one of the oldest family-run businesses in Singapore. What does that mean to you? Wow. <laughs> I, I, I feel honoured, actually. Uh, frankly speaking, Aaron, I did not know that I am the fifth generation. Uh, for the past two years, I have been telling uh, whoever that interviewed me that I am the third generation only. I only know that I am the fifth generation when I was forced to interview my own grandmother. Only then, that's where all the history came out. So when I interviewed my grandmother, so you know, grandmother would say, Haya, that one lah, your grandmother, great, great grandmother, <laughs> uh, my own grandmother. Uh, so I was like, oh, so you are the third generation. So before you actually... Your grandmother already did, which is my great, great, great grandmother. So I was like, oh, so I am the fifth generation. Only then I know. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So you interviewed your grandmother because? Uh, okay, I interviewed my grandmother because if I'm not wrong, it was uh, CNH wanted me to know who are the names behind the history of he grew putu piring. Yes, uh, of course, we, we were only known as putu piring last time. So uh, that's where um, I actually called up my grandmother because CNA also wanted to know where did she open her first stall. So which I get to know is in uh, Jalan Besar. Yes. I see, I see. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. Yes, that's a very long history. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what, so what was it like for you growing up in an F&B family, especially with one that has such a long history? You know, it's uh, a tradition that started from the 1930s mm-hmm. all the way from from that era when your great-great-grandmother sold putu piring from a roadside stall in Jalan Besar. What was it like growing up in that environment? I basically do not have the usual uh, childhood where, you know, kids go back home, watch TV, spend time with their parents. My childhood was go back home, uh, help my mother. And, you know, even though I'm watching TV, my hands are actually moving, trying to, you know, uh, help her mix the flour. And last time, you know, our flour was actually uh, made from home. So I basically help her whatever I can. So even though I have homework, I would finish up my homework and I would just uh, help my mom to do what I can. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. But you had fun, right? Oh, yes, definitely. All the experience. <laughs> <laughs> Without knowing it. But you were actually subconsciously learning the processes of how to make yes, putu piring. Yes, very true. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm. 
And I remember you telling me um, when we were chatting earlier that it was your mother who inspired your interest in baking and making desserts and making kueh and all that. Can you tell me how how did it start again? Okay, uh, so besides the, the flour that I need to help her mm. out during the weekends, my mom actually, she liked to take orders. She liked to make traditional kuehs, you know, like all those kuih talam, kuih lapis. So, uh, I, for me, myself, I like to enter the kitchen. I am uh, so enthusiastic and always wanted to know what my mom is doing because every time she made something, uh, it's so interesting and very creative to me. So, you know, especially those uh, rainbow colors kind of lapis so uh, on my side I would normally help her to take the eggs uh, break up the eggs mix it up for her so and also sometimes I will read out the the recipe for her to to do all the steaming and the timing the setting up uh, that's where my interest of uh, in culinary and pastry especially grew Putte Piring looks like a simple dessert to make right but it's actually not it's very complicated Yes, it is very uh, complex and very technical. So uh, basically, uh, we need to get the flour process first. Uh, when we get the flour process, uh, where we will add water and after that we have to steam it. After steaming, we need to dry it and we need to sift it. After sift, we have to dry them again. So that is actually the second day of the process. Wow. Yes. So once we we dry it up, we need to keep it, cool it down inside the freezer. On the third day, we need to defrost, add more water to it, mix it well, sift it again. And after sifting, only that product, that processed flour will be sent out to the outlet. Compare it to the traditional way of making, how long does that take? Actually, the traditional way I think would be longer because my great-great-grandmother grind the rice herself. So basically, I would say how putu piring exists was last time there's abundance of rice so they don't know my grandmother don't know what to do with it so what happened she grind the the uh, rice and become the rice flour anyway you know last time they don't really have much things to do i i guess <laughs> so they basically yeah i, I mean a kueh that would take three or four days is like not a big deal for them not like us like now yeah. yeah, there was no TV, no radio, Correct. no podcast exactly. back and, in the day. <laughs> and not only that, even if you, last time when they sell the putu piring by the roadside, right, every time there's a new order, they will even grate the coconut on the spot. Wow, so it's very fresh. Correct, that's what my mother did actually. What can go wrong during this whole process? Many. Many things. Exactly. People, people would say that... Uh, Putu piring is like play masak-masak. <laughs> but I, seriously, it's very technical. Even a small uh, step could go wrong to have that perfect putu piring. Mm. Mm. For example? Okay, for example, if you were to press the flour too hard, of course the putu piring will become very dense. So basically, 
from the step of molding the putu piring to putting the white cloth on top of it to putting the putu piring itself into the steamer, you really need to follow how our mother uh, taught us. And how do you ensure, now that you have five outlets, mm-hmm. how do you ensure that, for example, every uh, each one of your workers has the right touch uh, so that each one of your workers presses the rice flour with the exact amount of pressure? Okay. How do you uh, ensure that? Of course, when there's new workers, I need to be there for about a week to teach them. And after that, there comes the CCTV. <laughs> 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 you know, by by watching at the CCTV, you basically know the the texture of the putu piring. So I I would see how the end product looks like. Uh, if it looks very firm, definitely I need to go back to either of the two station, the molding station or the place where they put the putu piring into the steamer. It mm. must be a very stressful process for your workers. It to ha- is to be watched by CCTV. <laughs> They, but yeah, they, they don't really know because uh yeah, normally when when I saw that in CCTV I normally would come down to the outlet again. Then I would uh teach them again. How long did it take you yourself to master the technique of making pustupiring? I took years to learn. Years. Yes, yes. Uh to know all the skills and technique because last time my parents are not the kind of give you the proper teaching techniques. You know, they, they don't really tell you like one plus one is two. When things happen they just say, Hey, don't do this. But they did not tell me why not to do this, you know. Basically a lot of things I need to learn by my own. Mm. So therefore I took years to to learn everything. So if sometimes when I ask my mother, Mommy, why is the flour uh, very, uh, the texture is not the same? Then she, she will just say, just do like this lah. Then I was like, like this? What do you mean by like this? You know, that is to, it's just difficult for them to explain how, uh, how the process should be. Yeah, so... That's where I actually learned a lot of things on my own and uh, through experience. Mm. Did they write down the recipe at all? No. <laughs> <laughs> Never. Wow. So you, you had to, in a way, reverse engineer what they were doing and yes. then figure it out for yourself. Correct. And guess what? <laughs> there, there are something I, I, will, I will ask her, Mommy, how much water? One cup. So I was like, so this cup, that cup, or the middle <laughs> cup? So, you know, I, I was like, I basically need to, to take that cup and measure in the measuring cup to, to know exactly how much is the water need to be added to that one kg of flour. How many putu piring do you sell in a single day? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, an average... Uh, from all the five outlets, mm. it would be about 10,000 pieces. 10,000. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of putu piring. Oh, yes. With a lot of hands helping out, of <laughs> course. <laughs> Is that a big number to you? Or do you think, no, I want to sell 20,000? Definitely. 000. I wanted more. Yes. Okay. Okay. But you originally had no intention of taking over the business, right? Exactly. Because uh, 
my dream was to become a pastry chef. Mm. So that's why I was uh after I I have I finish off my studies in uh US. I work in Boston Harbor Hotel. So that's where it started. But I was only a pastry cook during that time. So I wanted of course to further my uh ambition over there to become the pastry chef but unfortunately my parents need help. So you know I took almost a month about a month to say that I will be back to help them out. Mm. Mm-hmm. So they called you up and said we need help. Please come back. Yes. What was going through your mind back then? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> It's a mess, you know. I knew that I just started my career there and I really enjoyed what I'm doing. So I was like, uh, should I leave America, be back in Singapore, you know, somehow the, the life in America I I find it so much relaxed compared to here. Uh yeah, so I was like should I let this go or should I be with my family and run run the business there and um that's where after a month I decided and plus it's my family tradition not to say no to our parents. So therefore I took about a month to decide And when I said yes, my father actually uh, flew all the way to US with my brother-in-law to fetch me back home. So how long were you working for before your parents called you? Actually, almost a year only. Okay. Yes, I, w- I was there for my work experience. So I almost ended my work experience there. What was your experience like in America? Oh, it's nice. As I said, it's uh, relaxing, you know, not so stressful. Uh, and of course, I enjoy the atmosphere there. Uh, I was working beside the harbour front. Yeah, so the view is good. <laughs> and uh, I like the weather there. It's cool. Uh, only three months summer. So the rest is like, I'm inside the chill or freezer. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, really, I mean, uh, for whoever went to overseas in America, I I would say they would never would want to come back unless their parents told them to come back. You know. Mm. Mm-hmm. Did you ever think about opening your own pastry shop in America? I mean, before you received the call, of course. Yes, definitely. Because at uh, that time, I I do have a best friend there, uh, Christina Chua. Uh, she loves to bake also. So you know, when we were in Johnson and Wales, even though uh, she's not in the same major with me, she's actually under hospitality. So uh, but we bake every weekend together. So of course she would like ask me tips because I I am really into pastry and baking. So she she would like, hey Aisha. Uh, one day when we open a shop together, we become business partners. Then I say, of course, I would, I would be glad, definitely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you had to give up that dream and come back to Singapore. Yes. How did you feel? Reluctant, but when I come to think of it, I feel blessed. You know, it's a business that I think everybody would want to take over. So. Therefore, I feel like it's okay. Let my dream go and let me move on. But in a way, it's still possible for you to have your own pastry shop in Singapore at some point, right? 
very true but you know um over here in singapore i think there's a lot of challenge and also there's no point in fighting the same desserts and recipe because i i don't think there are so many other desserts to show off for now you know whereas putu piring is something unique and hard to find correct and um it's just not as common because it's so hard to make very true so i might as well just focus on my putu piring mm. mm-hmm. so now that you are focused entirely on putu piring is it your goal to have as many shops in singapore as possible yes that's one of my goal to have as many shops as possible uh but you know i'm still building the structure uh to strengthen my pillars in the company so therefore i still need to have a few more team players before i can really maximize our expansion hmm mm-hmm. you have expanded the business quite a bit since 2014 when you mm-hmm. took over your parents and you became managing director you went from one stall in hig road to five outlets now uh you have also lots of new flavors and you have started island wide delivery what else can we expect in the new future okay in the future i actually wanted to franchise out my putu piring uh i know it's not going to be too soon mm, therefore it going to take a few years and of course i wanted to supply our flour to yeah to whoever uh interested to to sell putu piring i would be gladly to teach them the skills to make a business of uh, putu piring to be successful mm. mm-hmm. how does your mom feel about this <laughs> <laughs> she is against it <laughs> therefore i dare not do it yet for now uh and i'm really really planning it i I just hope everyone will help me pray that it will be a successful one. In fact, even now when I wanted to open more branches, my my especially my mother are against it because she said it's not easy to handle. Uh, but of course, with the help of my husband and all my uh, staff who are very faithful with us, uh, I made it happen. Therefore, I need more team players to be in the company uh, to make. the franchising happen Are you worried about what people would think of a franchise because the number one concern is always the standard Mhm That's true Yes uh, definitely I would worry for that but you know like I say uh that's where I I need team players to make the SOP run smoothly Another concern I suppose is actually you know giving away the family recipe the family tradition mm-hmm. in that sense Yes How do you reconcile this? Okay. Uh actually basically the the flour itself will be made in our central kitchen. So we would just deliver the flour and we just teach the tricks on how to make the process flour into the putu piring when it's steaming at the steamer. Yeah, so I I don't think so. The family secret will still be revealed hundred percent. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. So yep. maybe ninety nine percent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, your mom is 
pretty conservative based on what you've been telling me. Mm-hmm. Whereas you are more ambitious yes. and um, you have a lot of dreams and you have a lot of ideas and innovations. Um, what would you describe your relationship with your parents like, especially your mom? Are you close to her? Uh, I would say 50-50. Mm. Uh, yes, we are close, but we are not. <laughs> it's it's tough for me to say that she wants her daughter to be with her but when we are there she express it in a different way uh the the kind of uh how how do i say kind of abusive kind of language you know but actually she love us mm. yeah she would like buy things for us and would ask us what do you want but it's just the way she she uh pose it to us you know us meaning you and your sister correct there's mm. only two of us there's only two of mm-hmm. you how often does the family get together okay we actually due to the pandemic we actually just get together during the festive season mm. but otherwise it's about uh no once a month mm-hmm. or especially during our birthday celebration any of the family members we will get together what is the most important lesson that you learn from your parents most important lesson is uh what my parents say not to be stingy especially when customers say, can I have more sugar? Can I have more coconut? Just give. Don't ask for extra money because uh, they would say, the more you give, the more you get. Yeah. So that's one of the lessons that I've learned. And of course, to be uh, nice always to customers. And that's where I try to input that to my workers because, yeah, I mean, customer service must we we must always be nice to the customers. Mm, even if the customers are not so nice to you. Exactly, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> once in a while, uh, yeah, not all customers are good to us though. So at the same time, you know, uh, we have up and downs. So there's no such thing as we are perfect every time. And earlier when we were chatting, you also mentioned that um, they taught you about the value of hard work and, and hardship? I think all these hardship that I went through are really worthwhile. This actually brings me up here now. I think without hardship, uh, you won't really go far. So uh, the sweat, the tears that you went through, all the hardships are, I would say, really, really worthwhile uh, that you know, not not only help us in the family because I do I we do not come from a rich family, you see. So, uh, it bonds our family together, and also at the same time we manage to help out the community, especially during this pandemic. I think all the hardship like, uh, it's priceless. <laughs> what kind of hardships? Okay. Like I say, I I don't have I do not have a real childhood, you know, where where kids during the weekends will go out with their parents, shopping malls and everything. My parents work every day, so the only time that we spend out together was school holiday, and that will only be about three to four days, like going to Malaysia, you know, quick travel. Then after that, came back 
we start work again. So, uh, that that makes me feel like I really appreciate all the family time, even though it's just three four days that we spend together. It it's such a good memory that is being passed down until now. Besides, uh, working every day, uh, hardships of of course, you know, uh, manpower. Uh, where we don't really have enough manpower. So, yeah, we work more than 12 hours a day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But like I say, it's this, all these hardships are the one that make you feel um, glad because I think some other countries are not doing as well as what we are. Yeah. So tell me about your own family. You have three sons. Yes. Uh, what are they like? <laughs> How old are they and what are they like? Okay, my youngest uh end of this year will be four years old and my second is five years old and the eldest is seven years old. Uh I will describe my first one as the chubby bubbly <laughs> because he's the biggest, the fattest, cutest. <laughs> yes. Uh my my second one will be Um, the intelligent one, I will say, he speaks a lot, uh, but he have mind of his own. And my third one, uh, he's the hyperactive one. He just don't stop jumping up and down. And of course, because of that, I think he's the thinnest of the three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, something I knew for sure, all the three of them love to eat. Fried chicken. Oh, yes. <laughs> I thought you were going to say putu piring. <laughs> oh, putu piring, of course, of yes. Of course, right. <laughs> Definitely. They, they are actually, especially the second one, he's the sweet tooth that he would crave for putu piring. Ah. Yes, he's the only one that say, uh, Mommy, I want to eat putu piring. Yes, but for the first one, he basically eats everything. Anything that you serve him on the table, he will just eat anything. <laughs> do you see your sons taking over the family business someday? Yes, I do. But of course, I I need to make the process much more easier for them to take over. So therefore, I need to implement some machinery into the system. Mm-hmm. Do you wish you had a daughter? Because so far, it has been passed down from mother to daughter across the five generations. Mm, that's very true. Because I, as you can see, my family, the female ones are actually that run the business. And uh, if you ask me if I want to have a daughter, who doesn't when you have three sons? But yeah, I mean, if God permits, yeah. But mm. otherwise, I I will live on with my three boys. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now, when we were chatting earlier, you also mentioned that um, uh, you love gardening, right? I mean, you you don't have a lot of time uh, outside mm. of work. Yes. But gardening is one of the things that you enjoy doing outside of work. Correct. Actually, most of the time during the weekends, I I love to spend about one to two hours with my gardening club. Yeah, we have a gardening community at the Hague Walk. So, uh, we actually would share about different kind of herbs, fruits and other plants uh, to be planted in our garden. So, for on my side, I, my garden are actually 100 
100% edible plants. So beside herbs, I do have papayas, I have chilies, many other things. So um, what I enjoyed most are actually, you know, during the weekend, I would bring my three boys <laughs> where they would dig up whichever soil that they would dig, especially to find earthworms. So <laughs> okay. yes, it's so fun. <laughs> And uh, besides that, I would teach them uh, other things, the nature and why why do we have spider webs and uh, grasshoppers. So you have your own plot of land. Yes. Mm. Uh huh. And do you harvest the papayas and the chilies? Yes. To cook. Every week we would harvest something besides the fruits. We also have vegetables like kangkung. Uh, what else? Basil for our pizza during the weekends. Well, mm-hmm. farm to table. Yes. Really, farm to table. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, well, that brings us to the end of our podcast. Uh, thanks so much for dropping by, Aisha. Thanks, Aaron, <laughs> having me. Mm-hmm. Yes, I hope you had a good time. Yeah, sure, I do. Thank you. Yeah. This has been Next Gen with Aaron De Silva. If you don't want to miss an episode, remember to subscribe. CNA podcasts can be found on the CNA website and app, as well as on Spotify and iTunes. This episode of Next Gen was brought to you by Jeje Lekut.